Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is psychologist and best-selling author Edith Eager. Edith's book is called The Gift, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. In it, she explores the power of self-renewal, gently encouraging people to free themselves from the thoughts and behaviors that may be imprisoning them. Edith's own story of surviving the Holocaust is incredibly powerful, and I was so honored to speak with her. We talked about survival, resilience, and forgiveness. Edith shares steps we can take to acknowledge and process our anger. She describes her approach to healing from the past and how she remains hopeful in the present. Edith is a beautiful soul, and our conversation was filled with so much joy and laughter. I'm excited to share her magic with you. So let's get to my conversation with Edith Eager. Well, first of all, I'm just, I'm extremely honored to have you here today with us. Your work is so meaningful and so impactful, and I feel very honored that you've made the time to, to talk to us and our, our listeners at the Goop podcast. And I think I, I gravitate towards your work and, and people like you because I am so fascinated by the process of healing and, you know, the body seems to heal itself with, with not a, a lot of direction and yet emotionally, we seem to have such a hard time as human beings finding a roadmap to facilitate healing for ourselves. And so I was wondering as, as a woman who has had an amazing journey and kind of put off your own healing for many years in order to survive really until, you know, life sort of hit you in the face and you realized that you had to go through your own healing process. What were the things that happened that made you brave enough to start to face the things that you needed to face in order to begin the healing process? 
I began to work with Vietnam veterans in the late 60s and 70s, and I had two paraplegics with the same symptomatology and diagnosis, but two entirely different responses. One of them would be against the world and against the country and just uh, screaming, complaining. And conversely, the other one said to me, you know, Doc, I'm in a wheelchair, and I was given a second chance in life, and I was wearing a white coat, and it says Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatry, and I began to feel like an imposter because I kept things inside. I didn't have the verbal capacity, actually, because I made up my mind that I don't want to be known as someone who is a victim, and I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. So I felt terribly, terribly phony as an imposter, and that's when I made up my mind that I cannot take them further than I have gone myself. And that's when I decided to really create my theory on how to revisit the places where you've been, relive that experience, but don't get stuck in there, that you go through the valley of the shadow of that. And this is what I do. I become a guide to take my hand and we go together, revisit the places where you've been, and what made the difference when you begin not to be a victim and recognize that we have been victimized. It's not my identity. It's what was done to me. And that's how I really began to become a real person who didn't have to run anymore and present the self that wasn't true at all. Are we meant to sort of flow easily between the different aspects of ourself or are we meant to kind of embody all of those things at the same time? Well, all I can tell you that we're born alone and there is something between birth and death called life. So it's a decision whether you're going to be for something or against something. And what I have learned in Auschwitz, that if you were just for the me, 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 you didn't make it. All we had was each other then. And guess what? All we had is each other now. So I learned to really more and more that life is from inside out. And I had a ballet master who told me that when I was just maybe six years old and told me that all my ecstasy has to come in life from inside out, but I had no idea what he meant by the word ecstasy until I was in Auschwitz. And then it came to me whether I'm going to react or respond, that they could put me in a gas chamber any minute. I had no control, but I had to learn to endure but I could not control. So even though we were standing in line four o'clock in the morning, we didn't know what will happen next. And my curiosity kept me alive. I always wanted to know what's gonna happen next. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether water or gas is going to come out. 
And I think this is what we're facing today, that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I live in a present. I can only touch you now. And I look at the past as a way that I can build on that because suffering made me stronger. And that's what suffering does. The more you suffer, you're able to see the same situation from a different perspective. Like you look at Auschwitz, as I do, as an opportunity for a discovery, not recovery, to see how look at life as something that there is no guarantee, there is no certainty, but there is probability. How do you actually survive minute to minute when you are that acutely aware that you might not survive a shower? How do you keep control of your body with that kind of acute stress over such an extended period of time? I I discovered that there is the difference between reacting or responding. When I go to school, I ask the students to see a movie called The Karate Kid because (laughs) it shows you that the, the best power is brain power. So not to react because when you react, you don't think. But to take a deep breath and say, I don't like it, it's inconvenient, and it's temporary, and I can survive it. So you change the but to end. Yes, and, furthermore. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I could not change whether they're going to put me in a gas chamber or beat me or torture me. And yet, they could never touch my spirit. So I bring you that defiance. I'm just telling you what is true for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because but, when I asked my sister to come back with me to Auschwitz to honor my mother especially, who told me in the cattle car, we don't know where, where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. And I wanted to go back and tell my mother she was right because everything was taken away from me. How do you cultivate that spirit that nobody can touch? How do you keep it safe? Somehow, I was very fortunate enough to see the guards, that they were the prisoners, not me, that they were brainwashed to call me the cancer to society. But they're the ones who are throwing children in a gas chamber. So that's why today I say, pay attention to your thinking, because what you think, you create. Mm -hmm. So I created a world that somehow, no matter what happens, it's temporary, and I can survive it. And I created an atmosphere, especially for my sister, because she was hungrier than I was, to eat that piece of bread, whatever they gave me. But I just really left almost 
more than half of it because I knew that tomorrow she's going to be hungrier than I was. So had to go beyond the me, 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 because if you were just for you, you didn't make it. If you were generous in that way, you felt that it would energetically come back to you and protect you as well? I think love is not what you feel, is what you do. And I usually tell fathers that, that you're a role model to your children, the way you treat the mother of the children, that you, you bring breakfast in bed on Sunday morning and a cappuccino or whatever it is, that I used to have that with my husband, that we changed every Sunday was my turn or his turn to make breakfast. And I remember that he bought me papayas. And my daughter came home from the University of Texas and came to the bedroom. And unfortunately, she was seeing me in a Christian day or nightgown and my husband feeding me papayas. And she told me that she's a communist and uh, she didn't know a thing about communism. I studied the whole thing, and I lived under that, too. <laughs> but you see, she told me that I am a, a just disgusting mother. You know why? Because I didn't know how to change a tire. If I had a problem, I would fi find somebody to come and change my tire so she was really, really just not respecting me. I don't think today she would do that, but that was a long, long time ago. Sometimes when we're young, strident feminists, you know, we, we project a lot onto a situation. Do you think that there, you can, those things are mutually exclusive? Do you have to know how to, I mean, changing a tire is a metaphor really, but do you have to know how to you know, take care of all aspects of yourself to be a full, strong woman? I think if you're a strong woman, I call it a woman of strength, you know? Not a strong woman, but a woman of strength, because I don't wait for someone to make me happy. And dependency breeds depression. And it's important to differentiate between have-tos and want-tos. What we have to do are things without which we cannot survive. We have to breathe. After four minutes, you know, you're gone. You have to sleep. Without sleep, we hallucinate. People use have-tos. They don't realize that you don't have to buy a present to your mother. You don't have to go downtown. So I see that many people don't know how to differentiate thinking and feeling. Mm. Feeling is in the stomach. You either feel mad or glad or sad. And if we talk about anger, I think we either vent the anger. That's why my precious daughter calls it edism, that <laughs> Opposite of depression is expression, because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill, what stays in there does. Very important to do is acknowledge that anger is not a primary emotion. 
underneath, what is it? Uh, I think underneath of anger is a lot of unresolved expectations and a lot of anxiety and most of all, a lot of fear. And I don't think fear and love coexist. So I work very hard in recognizing that we're not born with fear, we learn it. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. You say in the book, you can't heal what you don't feel, which is just what you're talking about. The importance of expression instead of repression. And I think we're not necessarily given the skills to easily do that. So how can we make our feelings that are the harder feelings more accessible in the effort to, to release them and process them? Well, you know, sometimes I ask people to be on a football game and then you say, yes, I am, and yes, I can, and yes, I will, rather than yes, but. Yes, I don't like it. Yes, it's inconvenient, and it's temporary, and I can survive it, you know, because I may have felt before, and I made it. It's easier to die than to live. I was very suicidal after I was liberated because reality hit me. My parents didn't come back. My boyfriend, I was told, killed the day before liberation. Still, how do you find hope in hopelessness? That somehow there is a way that I can find a gift in everything. That I don't like it. I don't have to like it. I don't like to brush my teeth. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm doing it because because it's one of the things that I don't want to have is rotten teeth. How do we increase our tolerance for discomfort? Is there, are there, is it just a mental shift that you made to look at it that way or, or, or something that you told yourself? I think you said it so brilliantly that I cannot change the situation, but I can look at it in a different perspective. I usually do that when I go to church and then I talk about the little Jewish boy called Jesus. And and then he said, turn the other cheek. I wish you could see me now. When I turn the other cheek, I look at the same situation from a different perspective. It's an opportunity for me to look at it as a way that something is in here that will empower me to be the survivor and never a victim 
of anything or anyone, and you have to give up the need for other people's approval. Everything costs, has a price. So how do you develop the ability to feel the hard feeling? You sit down and say, I have a feeling. And it, you either vent anger, you either suppress it, which I did for about 20 years, and I like to dissolve it. So now I am just de- uh, not, not denying. Mm. Not denying, that's the key. Any feeling, don't judge a feeling. There is no right or wrong feeling. There is only my feeling. So when I asked my sister Magda to come back with me to Auschwitz, after I worked with the paraplegics and decided that I cannot take them for there, then I have gone myself. And I felt really just like a phony. And I asked Magda to come with me to somehow honor my parents, especially my mother. And she told me I'm an idiot. And she told me I'm a masochist. And from that point on, she got it very, very clear to me that she's not going to spend a moment ever thinking about the past. Was that difficult for you that you had one approach and she had such a different approach? I mean, what did that do to your shared experience? I think that I was a very mature child all along because my parents wanted a son after two girls. (laughs) And my mother told me, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. So what I have learned that I am not going to try to change Magda. And I never asked her again. Not I didn't repeat myself and I beg people to listen carefully and not to come from an agenda because have you tried to ever change another person and succeeded? I hear that from women all the time. I love this man, even if he's drinking, I'm gonna make him stop drinking because of my love. Now you and I know that. That is just a fantasy. How important is it in through the process of healing trauma to go back into the trauma and how do you lead people through it without them being re-traumatized one of the questions that i ask when did your childhood end i love this i love when you talk about this in the book when you when you revisit the past (laughs) when you revisit the past you are able to talk to me as an eight-year-old or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old, and I'm going to meet that person where that person is. And I'm not going to ask, how are you? You, my precious one. You know, I saw you making paella, I think, with your grandfather many years ago. I remember you making such delicious <laughs> It's all about food. It's all about food. I know. I when I was reading your book, I got so hungry. You were talking about your the chicken with paprika and the butter and the dark chocolate, and my mouth was watering the whole time I was reading the book. That's what we talked about in Auschwitz. Food, really? food. 
Abraham Maslow was very correct when he talked about the hierarchy of needs. Yes. Because all we talked about was food. And we were fighting how much paprika you put <laughs> and how many caraway seeds you put into the gulag. It was amazing. And you know what else? We also had a boob contest. <laughs> I mean, we did silly things. That's amazing. That's, so, so you were able to laugh? Yes. Who won the boob contest? Well, you know, I was a gymnast and I was a student of ballet. And I had a good body. I didn't know what to do with it, but I got a little piece of bread, which I shared with my sister Magda. And you know, my my teacher was there from the Jewish school that that I went to. And when Dr. Mengele came and wanted to be entertained, she looked at me very serious and said. Do as you are told. And I did exactly what she told me. And did they did they know you were such an accomplished dancer? Or did, did somebody volunteer you to dance for Mengala? Everybody who knew me, that when the president came to my city, I welcomed him with my Hungarian costume. And we had red boots. And I know the Chandash even today. And I also do a high kick even today. So I, uh, that's what happened. But, you know, in a Jewish school, and that was before Hitler. Yeah. Children were spitting at us and called me a Christ killer. So we, we are having people like you today who wants to unite Mm -hmm. and how we can empower each other. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Toomey's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Toomey.com or at a Toomey store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. When you see that in today we're living in a world that's so divided and with so much racism and anti-Semitism, what does that bring up for you? It brings out a lot of sadness. January 6th, I really was crying, really crying. And I had a hard time stopping when I saw a man wearing a shirt called Six million was not enough. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how I felt after Nazi Germany, Communist Russia, I come to America in 1949, and I go to the bathroom and one of them said colored. So there is prejudice, which means to prejudge. And I did gather with the women of color in that factory, and they took me to a meeting, and then I became part of that meeting. So I think, again, what I'm saying, talk can be very cheap, and people say, I believe, I believe, I believe. What I'm interested in, what kind of life you lead? And I look for faith. 
And I have faith that we do the best we can, you and I. Never give up. Never give up. And not to really be against, but for life and for uniting. And I was able to somehow turn hatred into pity and feeling sorry for the guards, that they were precious children born to love and have passion and look. They were brainwashed, and they took my blood. And I asked, why are you taking my blood? He said, I take your blood to aid the German soldiers so we can win the war and take over the world, especially America. And I heard that in German, and I couldn't yank my arc, maybe, but I said to myself, you're a stupid idiot to think that my blood is going to win the war. My blood will never win the war. And so I had my humor, my humor, and learning how to respond and not to react. I think humor keeps hope alive, right? It keeps hope and optimism in our hearts. It's amazing that you were able to find humor through all of that. It's astonishing. One thing I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was so funny, was in the book you talk about, I think it's really a lesson about integrity and honesty, but you said there's a saying in Hungary, if you have your butt cheeks, one on each chair, (laughs) then you're (laughs) half-assed. Yes, you're half-assed. You can't sit with one behind on two chairs. Yes, yes. As because some people divide themselves in too many ways and they're not really in one place 100%. I have a problem that way too. I can think of 10 things all at once and I do have a hard time. And I have my beautiful assistant, I have my beautiful daughter here <laughs> wanting to say, hey, finish that sentence because <laughs> I can take you to China, but I don't know if I'm going to come back or not. Are you that way too? You can think of so many ways to look at them. And it's, it's true. It's true. But I, yeah. But I thought that was such a great image because it's really about being present and kind of being fully in 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 your integrity in that moment. What happens if we're not in integrity? I think that it's important to have a goal and like to call it the arrow that you follow an arrow, but you have to also pay attention what you're focusing on that will get you closer to the goal. Do you have to stay very close to yourself in order to stay close to your goal? I think it's very important to get up in the morning and look in, look in the mirror and say, I love me. Self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. And everything begins with you. So do love yourself. Be a good parent to yourself. And be childlike, but not childish. How do we fall in love with ourselves? Well, it's just that, first of all, people say she is a Holocaust survivor. And I say, I am a human being who went through an experience, but it's not my identity. I was victimized. It's not who I am. Because every behavior satisfies a need, 
And victims will always find the victimizer. Now, I'm not blaming the victims, God forbid, because my parents didn't have that chance. But how do we fall in love with ourselves? Just say that I'm human, I'm limited. I'm limited. I'm not perfect. I'm going to give up perfectionism. I'm going to give up the need for approval of other people. You know, many years ago, I'm not doing that anymore. I would speak to hundreds of people, and they came and congratulated me. And then there is one guy who said to me, you know, you know, Dr. Eager, you were okay. And I'm already thinking, what did I do wrong? Yes, but. And when I heard but, I'm thinking, I messed it up. I didn't pay attention to the hundreds of people who congratulated me, you changed my life, until this guy. I don't do that anymore, and I'm hoping that you don't do it either, that recognize that we human beings are fallible, and yes, we make a mistake. But I'm still climbing that mountain. I never give up, ever. Amazing. I think I've noticed that the more... I can forgive myself and let go of the things that I punish myself for, the more I really like myself. Yes. I hope that uh, you continue being the most wonderful role model, that forgiveness is not you forgiving somebody. You're forgiving yourself to gain your freedom. I wanted to ask you a little bit about forgiveness because... In, you, you talk about forgiveness being so important in terms of healing, but when you feel that you've been deeply hurt or wronged, what, are the, what, are, what is the process to really forgive? I think it's important to acknowledge you sit down and feel the feeling invited in. Don't fight it or run from it. Don't deny it. Don't minimize it. Feel that rage. You can't forgive without rage. You gotta go through the valley of the shadow of death. Just don't get stuck in there. Because when you're stuck, you're constipated. And when you constipate, you concentrate on a movement. Some kind of sometimes, you know, kid around like that. But some people are just stuck. Stuck and listening. To a lie. And that's what Plato said. You have to think of a lie. It's got to be a big one. And then you repeat it, repeat it until people believe it. So question authority rather than blindly adhere to authority. Because the emperor has no clothes on and doesn't even wear shorts. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. One thing that I really want to talk to you about in our last few minutes is one of the key points that you make is uh, the keys to, to free yourself from avoidance. And for me, this was really interesting because I think through my work and in, in my, on myself and, you know, in my own therapy and really making a commitment to myself, especially after 40 to live in integrity and to tell the truth as much as possible and to let go of guilt and a number of the other things that you talk about, I still 
struggle with avoidance. Like that is my way to protect myself. I shut down if I'm under duress or, you know, if I'm regressing to a, a dark place or a reactive place, like I go into avoidance. So why do we go into avoidance? Because you do what is familiar. Anything new is very scary. So the devil I know is better. So we keep going back to the familiar. It's very hard to shift gears in a car, but then you have to release the clutch. See, what am I holding on to and what I am willing? That's a good word. I like it. You got to be willing to risk. So if I come to you right now and I tell you, I love to get to know you. I hope you want to get to know me too. Edie, 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 not Dr. Eager. And you tell me, you know, it's very kind of you. I just want to tell you that I'm really not interested. So look what I did. The best four-letter word in the English language, to risk. And when you risk, you suffer. But I was not rejected because rejection is an English word that people make up to express a feeling when you don't get what you want. Give up the drama. No one rejects me but me. So you have to give up. When you move on, you get to give up and then replace it with something else. So do I avoid because I'm afraid of rejection? I think you're afraid to risk, yes. Yes. Yes, and you know what? It's working for you unless you ask yourself, is this the best I can do? Talk to yourself. And you may say, no, I'm a curious one. I have a tremendous curiosity. So I'm going to try something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the Escada scarf, but maybe you bring me a Gucci scarf, and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to, today I'm going to try the Gucci. And then that's what it means that you're evolving, not revolving. Because when you revolve, you are like Alice in a Wonderland. You go around and around and around to be sure that you go nowhere. So, so, so I think it's very good for you to realize that I'm not a shrink, a stretch. And you stretching people's possibilities, you're stretching their way of coping and realize that it's not the best you can do to stretch your comfort zone. I think you just rebranded psychotherapy into, we're all going to call our our therapists. (laughs) We're not going to call them shrinks anymore. So I wanted to ask you if it's okay about your divorce, because when I got divorced as well, and I feel that I learned a lot through the process, but I, I was wondering you know, it's, I I know a lot of people right now coming through COVID who are going through divorce. So how do you bring this consciousness? How do you, how does it apply to helping people through separations and, and in your case as well? Well, people ask me, did you love your husband? And all I can tell you that I was 17. I was very, very skinny. I was very 
very lonely, and most of all, I was very hungry. And someone bought me Hungarian salami. So we did get married. No, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> and I became either his mother or his child. My divorce has nothing to do with my husband. He was a kind, good man. I just felt that I'm going to die. And it turned out that's the best thing I did because people say, but you went back to him. I said, no, I was a woman to a man, not a parent to a child. It just didn't fit me to be a parent or a child. So interesting. So I think, I think I beg people not to hurry so fast to a life commitment until you really know you're going to be empowered rather than depleted. My last question for you is about hope and how you've managed to keep hope in front of you and around you and, and, and embodied within you. I think everything has to do with hope because when I was liberated, I was put in a cast and I was really in pain. Because you had broken your back? Back, yes. I was beaten very severely. So they put me in a cast and I could hardly breathe. And then reality hit me because while I was in a camp, I had hope that if I survive today, then tomorrow I'm going to meet my boyfriend and I'm going to show him my eyes and my hands. But then I realized he's not coming back. My parents are not coming back. So when I got up in the morning, I didn't say what. I said, what for? No meaning, no purpose, nothing. I just wanted to die. Mm and thank God, thank God, I decided to, to be for something rather than give up and give up hope. And I'm so grateful that I did that because the suffering made me who I am today, the survivor and never a victim of anything or anyone. I think there is hope here now I think people are realizing that hate is not the best we can do, that love conquers all. And what is love? The ability to let go. <laughs> yeah. That's just amazing. Yep. Edie, this has been such a wonderful gift. And it's, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so, so much for your time and your wisdom and your articulation. What an honor. Thank you. We can make the chicken paprikash. You can, you can have that invitation. Thank you. I'm going to try to take you up on that. Please. That would be amazing. Thanks for tuning into my conversation with Edith Eager. I truly hope you can pick up a copy of her inspiring book, The Gift. 
Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.